0: is real there's power in your name we find hope when we trust in your ways we need Jesus is
1: real Lord your grace is so huge that it can redeem someone like me And you've chosen to put your spirit in me. I mean, how crazy is that, God? You're a wild man. I mean, that's how I do it. You got to find your own gushing style, you know? But don't neglect praise and prayer. Just saying, God, you're so awesome. You're so good, Lord. You're so whatever your favorite words are for who God is. Just making much of who he is. That's for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
0: People flourish in environments where they're encouraged and praised. It feels good to be noticed and appreciated. Well, in today's teaching, Pastor Daniel shares that God deserves your praise, too. You'll learn that gushing over all the ways that God is amazing is an important part of prayer. Now, God doesn't need to hear these things to feel good about himself, but reciting them will help you be grounded and grateful as you grow with him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew 6 as he continues his message, Dialogue and Direction.
1: but his will, your will be done. And we know that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants us as his kids to make his will and his desires on earth revealed through our lives. But I have to be honest with you. You ever hear the phrase, if you don't want the answer, then don't ask the question. I want to make a preface here because I realize If you guys ask this question, Lord, what does your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven through my life look like? What does your will being done on earth as it is in heaven look like coming through my life? It's a wild ride. Because oftentimes when we ask those questions, we're all on a certain level busy building our kingdoms, desiring our wills to be done. And when you forfeit your kingdom and your will for his kingdom and his will, there is a reorientation of our lives. Because then all of a sudden we stop judging and we start loving. All of a sudden we stop fearing and we're set free in reckless, extravagant grace with people. We stop hoarding and we start blessing. So I realized that by encouraging you to follow the model of Jesus and saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to be birthed through my life. I want your will on earth as it is in heaven to be birthed through my life, that I am encouraging you to do something crazy. Something unexpected, something unique, something that nobody told you you should do before. But what's amazing is that when we get in step with what God is doing It's always more enjoyable than we fathom. Although scary. More enjoyable. More exciting. But still scary. Now we move from this. The three vertical ones. God's name. God's reign. God's will. Then we get to our needs. With the three horizontal. Praying horizontally. Our bread. Our debts. And our enemy. Our bread. Our debts. And our enemies. Look. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's our bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's our debt. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is our enemy. So give us this day our daily bread. Bread is used to cover all food, which really speaks of the most basic human necessities. So we should be praying that God would take care of our needs. Many commentators have said for a long time that that prayer should be for our needs and not our greeds. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. Most of us spend the most time worrying about not our daily needs, but about the fears about tomorrow. Fears of security. Fears of this, that, or the other thing. And in a lot of ways, it's one of the blessings and curses of affluence. Because the poorest person, the least affluent person in this room, is still exceedingly affluent by global standards. 2.4 billion people live on less than $2 a day. Not because they choose to, but because they don't have more than $2 a day. $2 a day translates to $60 a month. And the reality is, is that the least affluent person in this room, probably even most middle schoolers have more than $60 a month at their disposal. In Jesus' culture, this was before a day and age of ice boxes and freezers in the garage and 401ks, whether they be 201ks or 101ks at this point, and houses and all these things. Now listen, I do not believe that any of those things are sinful in and of themselves, except when we trust in them rather than trusting in God, which is textbook idolatry. So the key for us is to learn how to save for a 401k while still being abundantly generous in the world, but all the while not trusting in it. Living our lives as if the 401k doesn't matter because God's kingdom matters but you still save for it. I think that's even harder. It's easier than to give it all up, say, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. It's easier to do that than it is to have access to these blessings, but still live radically kingdom-minded. And that's something we have to learn as a church, I believe, and as individuals. How do we have health insurance, but pray for healing like we don't? How do we feed a community where there's lots of people who have needs while still having meat left over for next week? How do we live radically generous in this day and age while still preparing for the future on some level? How do we do that? So for a lot of us, this prayer about giving us our needs, I would say for a lot of us, and this includes me, I've been praying, Lord, help me to realize what I need And what is really just the nicety of my life. And help me not to worry about the niceties. And help me focus on helping other people meet the needs that they have. Because this is about necessities. Not creature comforts. From there, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This speaks of our debts. I like this. God sees our sins as debts to be paid. Now, we live in America, so we know all about debt, don't we? We have an exploding national debt. It's an insurmountable debt. And that's why God sent Jesus. Because by extension, our sins, it's a debt we could never pay on our own. It's an impossible debt to pay. And so we needed God's grace to come on in, Jesus dying in our place to pay an excessive debt that we never could have paid in the first place. See, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the human soul as food is to the physical body. We need forgiveness. Every single person struggles with the reality that they fall a million ways short of what they ought to be. And that is why God said, that is why we believe the gospel. That's why we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because just as our body needs food, our souls need forgiveness. And God sent that forgiveness in his son. And as we receive that forgiveness, then we forgive the people around us. Now, I really believe for many of us, this is where the struggle comes. It's easy to receive God's forgiveness, but it's hard to give forgiveness to other people, isn't it? It's hard to forgive people who have hurt us, who have wronged us. We have the scars to prove it. And the reality is, is Jesus is using the argument from the greater to the lesser. God forgave us such an enormous debt. As bad as somebody was to you, that debt is still smaller. And as we've received grace, then we can give grace. For so many of us, our lives in Christ are diminished because we're harboring bitterness in our hearts. I've heard it said this way. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Your unforgiveness, you're trying to hurt the other person, but really you're just hurting yourself. God wants us to pass along the forgiveness we've received. He has paid our debt. He wants us to stand in the gap and forgive other people. Like the servant who had the enormous debt, he got forgiven. He went to the guy with the little debt and he got all over him. So many of us are like that. Brother, sister, if God has forgiven you, honor God by forgiving the other person. Just pass it along. And then finally, the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This speaks of our enemy. Now. The idea of temptation, we know that God doesn't tempt anybody. We find that in James chapter one, verse 13. But the idea is, Lord, keep us from situations because you know that we're weak and prone to folly. Keep us from situations where we may stumble. That's the idea. Lord, keep us from potential conflicts or stumbling blocks. And that's a good prayer. For a lot of us, we need to start praying that. Lord, you know that I am weak in this area, so will you keep me? from those areas so if somebody here if you even think of alcohol you end up drunk then you need to before you leave say lord will you keep me from being anywhere near alcohol and if you pray that prayer when you're around alcohol god will have you fleeing he doesn't make it happen but he gives us the awareness so that in that moment we follow the lead of his spirit So, Lord, keep us from being in situations where we're going to stumble and deliver us from the evil one. And this means this, that for each one of us, there is somebody who hates us and wants to rip us off. That's Satan. He was a created being. He fell from grace. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But the reality is is that Satan is real. And Satan wants to rob God of his glory. That's why he fell in the first place. That's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants to be our cheerleader to do with what comes naturally, apart from God's grace, and that is to be in rebellion against God. Satan's job is to encourage us to go the way that comes naturally. The Spirit of God's job is to ensure that we go the way that comes unnaturally, which is to enter by the narrow gate, take the difficult way that leads to life if you find it. But it's important that we realize that there is opposition. Life in Christ is not life on a spiritual slip and slide, just wee, fun all the time. There is opposition, and there always will be. So we don't want to be ignorant of that. Now, this prayer ends, the end of verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some of your translations either don't have it or there's a little note, there is dispute on, it's not in every manuscript. So the reality is is it showed up in what's called the didache or the teaching of the 12, which was from the second century. And so some people would say it was scribals inserted it. So, but because it's in here, we'll talk about it. You know, with those type of questions, people say the better manuscripts and it's like, well, a manuscript is a manuscript. What's a better manuscript? (laughs) The reality is this. It ends with a doxology, an ascription of praise. And what I would say is don't neglect praise in prayer. Don't neglect praise in prayer. I always say this. One of the best ways to pray is to just gush on God. That's why I would tell husbands, the best way to love your wife is just to gush on her. Tell her she's the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. That you think she's fabulous. That God's given her a great mind and a beautiful smile. And that she's the best thing that ever happened to you. And you should mean that too. But gush on your spouse. They like that. And you know what? It's neglected in prayer when we just gush on God. Everyone does it in their own language. I say things like, Lord, you're so rad. Lord, you love me and you see all that I am and you still love me. Lord, your grace is so huge that it can redeem someone like me. And you've chosen to put your spirit in me. I mean, how crazy is that, God? You're a wild man. I mean, that's how I do it. You got to find your own gushing style, you know. But don't neglect praise and prayer. Just saying, God, you're so awesome. You're so good, Lord. You're so whatever your favorite words are for who God is. Just making much of who he is. That's for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You're just like, yeah, just praising God for who he is. So that's the prayer. Now, in closing, real quick, you talk about prayer, that that dialogue, and then we want to talk about direction. How do we discern God's will? If I had a nickel for every time someone came to me and said, Pastor Daniel, how do I discern God's will? I'd be loaded down with nickels because it's a big question and it's one that's very much linked to prayer. So I have five questions on how we can discern the will of God. Five questions. Someone asked me, what's the acid test for this? So I got five for you. First, what does the word say? What does the word say? When you want to understand the will of God, what does the word say? If the word says it, you can believe it. I had someone come up to me one time and say, Pastor Daniel, I'm wondering if God wants me to divorce my wife. I said, nope, he doesn't. like, what, you didn't even pray? I'm like, I don't need to. God's word is pretty clear he's like, oh, okay. Pretty simple, right? So what does the word say? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what does the word say? Second, what is the counsel of prayerful others? What is the counsel of, of prayerful others. Now, what that means is what is the counsel of others? But not just what they would do if they were you, but people who would seek God on your behalf. There's nothing more terrifying than when you go to someone and you say, look, I'm really wondering what God wants me to do, and they just start spouting stuff off at you. They haven't even spent one second asking God what his will is for your life. They just tell you what they would do if they were in your shoes, not even understanding the situation. That is not the advice you want. That's not the advice you want. If Jesus took that advice, he would have taken Peter's advice and he wouldn't have gone to the cross in the first place. So you want the counsel of someone who's prayerful. So I encourage you, if someone comes and say, says, know, I'm really wondering if God wants me to do this. If someone says that to you, you know what you should say? Well, listen, let me pray for you and I'll seek God. And if God gives me something, I'll come share it with you. Rather than saying, "Oh, well, you should do this," without even a moment, not even a moment of seeking the heart of God. So you want the advice of people who are prayerful, people who seek God, who people would say, "Listen, I don't know, but I'll seek God if He gives me something I'll share it with you." That's a very healthy thing. It makes me think of Ephesians chapter four verses 11 and 12, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What that means is that God has given some people roles to do these things. Some some people are on staff, some people aren't. But God uses people to equip us. So we want to lay hold of that by seeking the counsel of people who are prayerful. Third, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I got to be honest with you. The who gets the glory question is really a rough one. It's really a rough one. Because oftentimes, the things that we're praying about has nothing to do with God's glory. and has everything to do with our glory. What we want. And so I... I encourage you to pray who gets the glory, but I encourage you to do it with fear and trembling because God wants us to be about his glory and not our own. So who gets the glory? Fourth, what is the desire of your heart? What is the desire of your heart? Someone's got to be like, huh, you just said who gets the glory? Now you're saying, what's the desire of my heart? Come on, Pastor Daniel. Those are two different things. Listen to Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. See, check this out. If we are concerned about God's glory and we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he's going to give us the desires of our hearts. See, what happens is as we delight ourselves in God, he makes his desires our desires because we're delighting in him. And then, as his desires are our desires, he gives us the things that we want because they're really what he wants. We just didn't realize it. So it's all about God's glory. If you're like, Lord, I just want to honor you and love you and serve you. Then you can say, well, what's the desires of my heart? They asked Augustine or Augustine, depending on your syllabification preferences. And he said, I just love God and I do whatever I want. And you think about that, you're like, huh? But if you it's pretty deep if you think about it. Because if it's all about the love of God and you're just focused on that, you're like, Lord, I'm loving you, then you can do whatever you want. And what happens is, is the things that, because you love him, you want to honor him and please him and all these things, and you do things that please him. And if you realize that you're off because you love him, you say, Lord, I'm sorry, and you change directions. So I love that. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll also give you the desires of your heart. So what's the desires of your heart if you're glorifying him, seeking to honor him? And then finally, does this direction serve to set you apart? Does this direction serve to set you apart? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So God's will for our lives is to sanctify us, to set us apart for his usage. So does this direction that we're seeking or going to take, does it serve to set us apart more for him or pull us away from what he has for our lives? For me, those five questions, when it comes time to discern God's will, I always go to, what does the word say? What is the counsel of people I know who are praying? Who's getting the glory? What is the desire of our hearts? And then finally, does this direction serve to set us apart? Now, brothers and sisters, I'm gonna close with an encouragement, an exhortation. I believe so strongly that God has wild things in store. For this county. It's just. Every time I'm in worship. Every time I'm in prayer. People come to me saying. Pastor Daniel. I just feel like God has got. Something so profound for us. I really believe. That what God has for us. Is going to be birth. Empowered. And sustained. In prayer. As we lay hold. Of what God wants to do. In and through our lives. In this church. As we. Understand what God's will is for his kingdom to be inaugurated here and now until Jesus comes. The work we are meant to be doing. I don't know what it all is. I just know that the only way we're going to find out what it is is to be in prayer and seeking God's direction. And I believe there's a movement beginning here of just prayer. People just seeking the Lord together. And I pray that we all meet each other at the throne of grace in our own private prayer closets and we get together for prayer. Because eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him.
0: Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel wrapped up this message on prayer by giving you five questions to ask when you're trying to determine God's will for you. After looking at what the word says and getting input from the godly people in your life, you need to ask yourself, who is getting the glory? Pastor Daniel also shared that you should ask yourself if this is the desire of your heart, one that follows after God, and if this direction will set you apart for the Lord. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I wanna be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy,
1: and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get
0: your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that we need to let God change our judgmental hearts. The connectedness of the world makes it easy to peek into the lives of others and judge what you see. But God wants more for you than this. Pastor Daniel will walk you through several passages in the Bible that show you how God wants you to interact with others, His more excellent way. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Really. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.